0: Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella, and today I'm joined by somebody I've actually referenced before on the show, but never had on personally. Hey, Dr. Tim Gersmar, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Ella. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to be on today. We're talking about a subject that is tremendously exciting to me, that I, I work with on a day-to-day basis, and I've been working with for a lot of years now, and there's a tremendous need out there for better treatment, more knowledge in people, and I'm so excited. You know, you reached out to your audience to get some feedback On questions they have about autoimmunity. And we were both blown away by just how much interest and enthusiasm, how smart and educated your audience is, and how they're hungry for more answers. So I'm really excited today that we get a chance to talk about that and answer as many of those questions as we can.
0: Well, Dr. G, can you just tell everybody kind of who you are and what you do?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, just for anybody out there, I have a practice located in Redmond, Washington. So that's where. I practice by designation. I'm a naturopathic doctor, which most people have never heard about. I never did um, either until I was introduced to this. So do you want to hear just uh, the short version of my backstory? How I came to be in this? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in college and one day my dad had to go in for surgery and went off to school and work. And then later that night, when I was finally settling down, I got a phone call from my mom who was in tears and my dad had had the surgery, it went well. But then sometime afterward, while he was recovering from the anesthetic, he suffered a stroke. Oh my and gosh. Uh, so I had to race down to the hospital. They didn't think he was gonna survive the night. Thankfully, due to you know modern medicine and all their technological wizardry and skill, they, they saved him. He survived, but he was profoundly affected by the stroke. And so my mom asked me to come home and be a caretaker for him, which I did for around a year, shuttling him to doctor's visits and kind of learning more about medicine than I had ever known existed before that. And there was a lot that they did right. And this is a theme we're going to talk about in autoimmunity today. There was Mm -hmm. a lot that they did right, but there was a lot that they didn't do right. And there was a profound close mindedness from many of the doctors and therapists and other people we were seeing that there were any other valid approaches or other tools or really anything else that could be done. The thought that conventional modern medicine has found the best treatments and everything else is either ineffective or a pale shadow, like it it works, but barely compared to the great stuff that we've got, you know, in modern medicine. And I came to find that that just wasn't true. And like so many people in your audience who have a problem, go to their doctor and don't get, you know, either answers that work or the answers that they're looking for. They turn and start educating themselves and trying to learn more about what can be done and being their own advocate. So I became that. For my father and I thought this isn't the short version of this story actually (laughs) (laughs) but I'll be done in just a minute we can talk more autoimmunity but (laughs) I thought I would be an MD after this whole experience I had learned so much I thought I'm gonna go be an MD if anybody knows Andrew Weil he was just starting to become popular Mm -hmm. around this time this MD who was reaching out to diet and nutrition and exercise and herbal medicine and I thought that sounds great. I want to be like that. And I reached out to MDs that I knew and I went and interviewed them and they said, listen, this is the wrong path for you. This is going to be really long and not going in the right direction. Short version is I cast around looking, 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 trying to figure out what to do. Was it acupuncture? Was it chiropractic? Was it something else? And this little profession that really had its stronghold in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon and Washington called naturopathic medicine was that fusion of conventional medicine all the knowledge and the learning and the tools that that conventional medicine has but it it also included diet and nutrition and all these things that I was looking for A short version that's what I became that's what I practice today so it's not just Diet, nutrition, exercise, herbal medicine, supplements, those all have their place. But it's also understanding that drugs and surgeries and everything else, all if we're going to practice true medicine and we're really going to help people, we recognize that all of those things are necessary. Sometimes you need one, sometimes you need another, but all of them need to be on the table for people.
0: Yeah, I'm actually glad you took us on that journey, Dr. G, because a lot of the comments that I got when I reached out and said, hey, you guys hit me with your autoimmunity questions. And by the way, we were flooded with them, as you said. And you guys, Dr. G has seen every single one of your questions. And even though we won't answer them all today, we're going to try and try to respond to as much as possible. But I couldn't believe the number of comments, Dr. G, that people came Mm -hmm. back with saying they were so frustrated with their doctor, their doctor's just not equipped to talk to them about their autoimmune issue. And so I so appreciate your alternative perspective here, but yeah. I would call you a veritable expert in autoimmune. And I just want to hit you with yeah. like 120 questions about it. Yep. <laughs> can, I, can I
1: answer the question why I believe that more doctors, more MDs are, are not open or interested to this? Please. Because I, I really do have great respect for my MD colleagues, many of them do really great work and they're incredibly frustrated as well. So the reason that most MDs are not open to the kind of approach that we're talking about today or that my schooling and the way I practice, I think comes down to several things. The first is their education, the second is their incentives, and the third is their restrictions. So let's just, I think most people know this now that straight up MDs do not get training and nutrition or if they do it's extremely limited and frankly most of it is bad advice in my opinion but
0: a lot more recognition of that these days
1: right they don't get training in therapeutic nutrition exercise stress management lifestyle management herbal medicines different supplements other approaches so frankly most of them just don't when you approach them and you say hey how about this The true answer that they should say to you is, I don't know anything about that. Unfortunately, along with the education, there is a tremendous ego for many doctors. And instead of saying, I don't know about that, what they don't say is, I don't know about that. And so ego often gets in the way of the appropriate answer, which would be, you know, hey, person, you're coming to me for your rheumatoid arthritis, and you're asking, can diet make an effect? And the answer is, I have no idea. I haven't been trained in that or understand that. Instead, you often get the, no, diet doesn't affect it, which, spoiler alert, completely wrong, (laughs) uh, but we'll talk about that more later, right? The second is incentive. So someone asked a question like, hey, if I know what tests that I want to have run, and I take them to my doctor and ask, hey doctor, can you run these tests for me? Essentially, why do they say no? And the answer is that their incentives, the way they get paid and the way the system works against that. So people may not realize that the insurance system monitors what doctors are doing, You know, what type of prescriptions they're doing, you know, what type of treatments they're recommending, and what type of labs that they're ordering. And, sorry to say this, but if they're doing too much, so in other words, if you go to your doctor and say, hey, can you run every test under the sun on me? Right. The insurance company is the one who ends up footing most of that bill or a large part of that bill. And if they see that that doctor is ordering an unusual number of tests. So if they're, a, let's say, a gastroenterologist, uh, someone who deals in digestive issues, and you go to see them for ulcerative colitis, a type of autoimmunity of the digestive system, and you ask for all sorts of tests, the insurance company is gonna look at what other gastroenterologists in the area are doing, and if the doctor is ordering three times as many tests as the other gastroenterologists in the area, that doctor is going to get flagged, investigated, and the insurance company will probably drop them off the system because they're costing that doctor too much money.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: So, I mean, look, this is the unfortunate part Where, you know, modern medicine is not just the practice of helping people. It's also a business where a lot of money is being made and a lot of people think the doctor's making a lot of money. And don't get me wrong, like MDs make good salaries and stuff, but the real money is in the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the device manufacturers. So doctors, if they, so when you go to your doctor and you say, can you order all these tests for me? First of all, they may not know why those tests are being done. Again, doctor is very smart, but they haven't been educated in that way. So when you're asking, you know, if you have rheumatoid arthritis and you're asking your doctor, hey, can we look at my digestion and see what's going on? their education, first of all, says that digestion has nothing to do with rheumatoid arthritis. So why in the world would they do that in the first place? Secondly, they're incentivized incorrectly. If they run all those extra tests for you, they could be, you know, their livelihood could be endangered because suddenly the insurance companies are not willing to work with that doctor anymore. And therefore a lot of patients won't go and see that doctor and then they may not be able to practice. And thirdly, restrictions on that doctor. So for good and for bad, the larger medical world, so the American Medical Association and the state medical associations for MDs have set down guidelines for what a doctor is supposed to do with a certain condition. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis, you know, or ulcerative colitis, there are certain protocols and pathways that that doctor is supposed to follow for you. Now, in a positive way, where they're trying to ensure that everyone gets decent care. So that's the positive side. But the negative side, these are like putting guardrails on the side of what a doctor can do. And if they go beyond that pathway, they actually can end up being, and it doesn't happen a lot, but it definitely has happened, they can be brought up by the state board and charged with practicing medicine incorrectly. And there have been doctors who've been trying to practice in a more integrative and holistic and natural way that have actually ended up having their licenses stripped away from them because they're practicing medicine wrong.
0: How unfortunate is this where it's systematic? The standard of care is actually compromising the standard of care.
1: Exactly right? So I don't have a lot of blame for most MDs. I've met tons of good ones. Listen, there's also like any profession, plumbers and electricians and like you name it, there are bad apples in the mix. But most of them are honestly trying. And the system is set up in such a way that it's exceptionally hard for them to do the kind of care that most people these days now need.
0: So you have actually become an expert in this, I should think partially because people can't get help where they thought that they could.
1: Absolutely. Listen, if if everyone were getting the kind of care that they needed from their MDs, and I absolutely wish that were true, I'd be doing something else. But the fact is basically every day, we get messages from people or see people who've already been down the conventional system and have gotten either kind of very modest results that they're not satisfied with or no results or it's made things a lot worse for them. You know, that's why we exist and why my focus is on uh, digestive issues and autoimmune diseases. Cause as we're going to talk about later, the two are very closely connected with each other as well.
0: Yeah. And the first thing that I want to ask you, and it sort of begs the question is why are we hearing so much about autoimmune disorders now? I mean, I literally never even heard that word when I was growing up and now it seems like every third person has an autoimmune condition.
1: Well, you're right on, right? So the incidence of autoimmune diseases or the, the amount of people suffering from autoimmune... There's two pieces here. So the first is the amount of people suffering with autoimmune diseases is dramatically on the rise, right? Immune dysfunction is dramatically on the rise. So, for example, I have young kids you know, and I was dropping my kids off at school the other day and, you know, plastered on the door of the classroom is warning, you know, someone in this classroom has severe allergies to nuts, do not bring nuts into this classroom, right? Because that kid could suffer a severe allergic reaction and actually die. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I didn't know anyone. In fact, you know, all through elementary school, middle school, high school, I never knew anybody with that kind of severe, not allergies. I think I knew one kid who was severely allergic to bee stings, but that was about it.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like I literally never heard of it. And then when my son was in elementary school, it was like, you know, people will die, stay away.
1: Right. So allergies and autoimmune diseases are similar, but not the same. They're both examples of the immune system reacting severely in an incorrect way. So maybe it would help here to give a little background to help put this all in context for people. Please. So our immune system is the defensive system of our body. We can think of it as our own personal army, Navy and Marine Corps, Air Force, all that stuff, right? Police force. Every day, you and I are exposed to a whole range of things which could potentially hurt or kill us. You know, Viruses, bacteria, fungus, parasites, toxins from foods and things like that that could be dangerous and harmful to us. And every day of our lives, it's 24 seven, it's the job of our immune system to destroy, neutralize and get rid of those harmful things and protect our bodies. If we didn't have a well-functioning immune system, we would be like the boy in the bubble who can't be exposed to things because, or AIDS patients whose immune systems have been so run down by the virus that they can no longer respond properly. And these people are, you know, at extreme danger of catching infections they can't fight off and they'll be killed by it. Yeah. So we have this incredible immune system whose job you can imagine it's like a policeman walking down the street in a busy area looking at the faces of everybody who walks by and the policeman's job is to say, you know, does that person look like they belong here? Or is that, you know, a bad guy, a criminal or somebody dangerous who's going to hurt us? And the immune system is supposed to ignore all the normal people who aren't causing any problems just going about their day, but to zero in on the crooks and the criminals and the bad guys who are going to cause harm and take care of those guys. OK. OK. So that's the normal immune system. And most of us, most of the time, have a good, well-functioning, normal immune system. Now, in the case of allergies and autoimmune diseases, the problem is that the immune system is targeting something. So it's seeing something as a bad guy that isn't actually a bad guy. So in the case of allergies, these are things outside of us. So these can range from you know pollen and grass and dog hair and cat hair and dust mites and harmless molds and then moving on to you know, different foods and things that the immune system sees these things that shouldn't be a problem because it's not like a virus or a bacteria that could hurt you or kill you. It's pollen you know, floating through the air. And yet the immune system views it as something negative and goes on high alert and causes reactions. And those range from, you know, itchy eyes, runny nose, all the way up to those severe life-threatening allergies where your throat closes up and you can't breathe anymore. Yeah. Now, in the case of autoimmunity, we have the same sort of situation where the immune system is reacting to something that it shouldn't be. However, in allergies, it's reacting to something outside of us. In autoimmunity, it is now reacting to something inside of us. So in the case of multiple sclerosis, your immune system is now targeting parts of your brain and your nerves as if it were a dangerous virus or bacteria or something that's going to hurt you and attacking and causing damage to it. In the case of rheumatoid arthritis, it's now attacking your joints as if they were something dangerous. In the case of ulcerative colitis, it's attacking your digestive system. So we go on a spectrum from a normal, healthy immune system. Allergies are a sign of an immune dysfunction, but it has not yet crossed over. Now the immune system is supposed to have safeguards and protective mechanisms that keep it from attacking your own body. As you can imagine, that's, bad thing. It's not supposed to do that. Right. So people, one of the questions that we got is are autoimmune diseases, hereditary or genetic, or, you know, if you have family members with autoimmune diseases, are you more likely to get an autoimmune disease? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. So we have Some diseases, like celiac disease, for example, is one that's been really well studied, and there's a very strong genetic component to getting celiac disease. So I think most people know celiac disease now, but celiac disease is an oddball disease, oddball autoimmune disease, where it's very directly like 100% related to when someone eats gluten, which is contained in wheat, rye, and barley, and then unfortunately, wheat, rye, and barley, wheat especially, have been taken apart and a lot of their components have been shoved into all sorts of processed foods and things that you wouldn't think are there, so it's not so simple as saying don't eat bread. Right. Uh, and you won't have a problem. But it's very directly that when someone eats gluten, it triggers the immune system to start attacking the body. So that's a case where there's a very strong genetic component. There are several sets of genes, and you can be tested for those genes. It's a simple blood test. Any doctor can run it for you, though many, of course, getting back to our earlier point, many doctors will not run these tests for you unless you have a relative in your family who has been diagnosed with celiac disease, and then they will often, they will do those tests for you. So if you don't have those genetics, this particular type of genetics, you are very unlikely to have celiac disease. It's about 95% of people who do have celiac disease have the specific celiac genetic. But the other thing to note is if you have those celiac genes, it does not, let me just say that again, does not mean you are doomed to have celiac disease many people who have the genetics that mean they could get celiac disease are eating gluten every day and never get celiac disease
0: oh how interesting
1: so having the genetics is important but by itself is not enough to give someone autoimmunity okay and so Celiac disease is the most prevalent one, the one that we know the most about, and the genetic links are strongest. Now, many other autoimmune diseases, some of them have some direct genetic links, so for example, there is a disease called ankylosing spondylitis, and what that is is your immune system begins cementing in your spinal column so that in the most advanced stages, your spinal column can't twist or bend anymore. It's like a rod in your back, right? And that has a genetic linkage as well that's been shown. There are a few others. Most common autoimmune diseases that we're talking about, Hashimoto's, uh, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, there is not that extremely strong genetic linkage where it's, ah, if you have this genes, you know, you are at high risk of getting this disease. The way we look at it more so is, many of us have the genetics that predispose or give us the possibility of our immune system going off the rails, right, and, and attacking things that they're not supposed to be attacking. And so we ask the question, why? Why would we possibly have these genetics that let us get autoimmune disease when having autoimmune disease is a terrible thing to have, okay? And so the answer is really twofold. I and mean, you you'll decide here, Ella, how deep we wanna go down this, because I know we wanna get to more of people's questions, but I find that by zooming out and looking at a lot of these things, a lot of the small questions tend to answer themselves or at least people, people are a lot more oriented. So I'll often use the analogy, people have heard the forest for the trees. So kind of losing the big picture for the small picture. But I would even go one step farther in this internet age where we have information, like more information than we can possibly deal with at our fingertips. And so we talk about the forest, the trees and the leaves. So the leaves we can get down into tons of little tiny incredibly, you know, complex little questions that are hard to figure out, should I do this or should I do that or does this make sense or is this an issue for me? And a lot of times when we're down at the level of the leaves, we can't orient ourselves and it becomes very complicated. So if we zoom out a couple levels and we start at the level of the forest and we think about what is autoimmune disease and in general why do we get autoimmune disease, then it's much easier when we zoom down to the small level to make sense of everything. Instead of of what we see every day is, you know, again, people are not getting the answers or the help they need from their doctors, so they're hitting the internet, they're reading blogs, they're listening to podcasts like this one, uh, they're doing their own research, and they're just totally confused because it's hard to orient themselves.
0: Yeah, for sure. Right? Okay, so we'll let we'll so, sort of zoom out and hopefully yes. cover more people that way.
1: Right. Exactly. So to answer the question, do genetics matter here? The answer is yes, they do. There's a few autoimmune diseases where it's been really strongly linked to genes, and most of them, not so much. But genetics matter, and if you have family members with autoimmune diseases or with a lot of allergies, then we know that your genetics are more permissible or they're more likely to allow an autoimmune disease to occur in the first place. But why would we have these genetics? And and there's two main reasons that we have. The first is that I'm a big believer in evolutionary medicine and understanding a lot what's going on by looking at the evolutionary context of animals and humans and the environments that our species grew up in, and a lot of things make sense. So the first is simply that even though we had these genetics in the past, The diet and lifestyle and other factors and triggers. So people have asked the questions about, you know, does environmental toxicity and exposure to chemicals and pesticides and various things, can that cause autoimmunity? And the short answer is yes, you know.
0: And that's why, because part of the question is, why are we seeing so much of this now where we didn't see it 25 years ago?
1: 100%. The second, you know, the, the second is, could infections Uh, chronic infections and various other things trigger autoimmunity? And again, the answer is yes, uh, they can, (laughs) right? So- What about
0: chronic uh, stress? Would you put it in that category as well?
1: Yep. So almost everyone, I would say 99 out of 100 people that we see, when we listen to their story and we understand what's going on, autoimmunity came on the stage for them During and around a period of chronic stress, Mm. whether that was a divorce, the loss of a loved one, uh, severe work stress, severe home stress, you know, people were in college, you know, and stressed to the max or almost always it's my health was, you know, pretty decent, but we can start to see some of the precursors that were lining up when we we take a timeline and we understand what was going on for that person. And then the event or the time period happened and all of a sudden we get okay. autoimmunity in place. So A, stress is a critical factor in, let's be careful here, not necessarily causing autoimmunity, but triggering autoimmunity to happen. Okay. And secondly, Stress is a key factor in causing flares or worsening of autoimmunity. So, pretty much everybody, if we stress them out, so I'll give you one recent example. I was working with a lady who has ulcerative colitis, again, autoimmune disease against the digestive tract. They often suffer from a lot of diarrhea, a lot of bleeding are some of the main symptoms and pain in their abdomen and their digestion. And so, She was doing pretty well. We had her in a good place and then work went crazy for her. So work was really stressful. She got projects piled on. A lot of stuff was going on. And then lo and behold, she went into a flare of her UC, right? And that's, that is really common. So one of the lifestyle factors that must be addressed, and this is not easy for people, I get it, but it has to be done, is we have to effectively manage the stresses in our lives. And we have to know, as someone with autoimmunity, when the stress gets bad, so think of it like a teeter-totter where, you know, you put weight, more weight on one side and the other side goes up. So if you pile more stress on one side of that teeter-totter, you have to pile more, if you will, anti-stress or things to calm the immune system on the other side of that teeter-totter to balance it out. If you take stress away, this is really common, people will be on vacation, and they're relaxed, and they're having fun, and they're not worrying about home, kids, jobs, all of those things, and all of a sudden they can eat things that were bothering them before, and everything is like mellow, and, and they think, oh my god, I'm cured, I don't have to do all of these things anymore to manage my autoimmunity, and then they get back home, And they're back to the grind and the job and the kids and the life and the bills and the everything. And all of a sudden, now they can't do that stuff anymore that they could do just a short time before when they were on vacation. Think of the teeter-totter. Take a whole bunch off one side, the factors that are going to stimulate the immune system to go out of whack. And you can take a lot of stuff off the other side and still be in great shape.
0: Dr. G, I have to ask you here,
1: Uh can you
0: get on the other side of an autoimmune disorder where you can actually be cured, or are you always vulnerable to flare-ups?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. So as far as I'm aware, in all of my years, so I've been dealing with people with autoimmune diseases for around a decade now, I do not know of any way to permanently, completely, and totally shut off the autoimmune process such that no matter what a person does in their life, it never comes back or never bothers them again. So I would say on some level, we are always going to have to manage our autoimmunity. I think of it kind of like a dimmer switch for your light. So it's not like a light switch. Once it turns on, I don't know of a way. I'm hoping you know science and people's experimentation can find a way to permanently turn that switch back off again. But once it's turned on, I think of it more now like a dimmer switch. So it can be turned up really bright. Our autoimmunity can be in a really bad place and flaring and majorly a problem for us. Or it can be turned down almost to, you know, where the lights aren't on at all. And so my goal is how do we keep, turn that dimmer switch down as low as possible? How can we keep it as low as possible and also make it the least sort of intrusive in a person's life? So the people I've seen who've done the best, they make diet and lifestyle changes a permanent part of their life and their autoimmunity basically it's lurking there in the background but they kind of the habits that they need have become so ingrained for them that they don't even it's not even a big deal anymore. They're not following quote unquote a specific diet. It's just an eating pattern that they they live. You know, they're hopefully here not having to do a tremendous amount of you know, drugs or supplements or various other things to keep it in check. You know, we definitely differentiate between sort of the active treatment phase where we're trying to get. So I guess maybe this helps a little. We sort of view it, it we have a four step process that people move through. The first is symptom control and management. So someone with Hashimoto's who's profoundly hypothyroid and suffering all those symptoms of. You know, fatigue and tiredness and waking gain and hair loss and you know, poor brain function and all those kind of symptoms, first and foremost, we have to get the person stabilized, their symptoms under control and some quality of life back for that person regardless. The second step is we want to go, then go in, identify and remove as many triggers that are pushing that autoimmune for, process forward. The third step, we want to balance out the rest of the body and make sure everything is working properly and the person is healthy. And the fourth step is maintenance. Now that someone is in a really good place, how do we maintain them there for for the long haul? But I've never seen anybody, you know, who then is in a great place and they decide, okay, I'm going to go back to eating a crappy diet, not getting any exercise, not sleeping well and stressing my brains out and then doesn't see their autoimmune disease kind of rise back up and give them
0: problems. Okay, so I'm dying to talk to you about okay, so what do we do about it and what helps mm-hmm. and what works, mm-hmm. but I've got to ask you this. How do you know if you might be experiencing autoimmune issues? And there's sort of a part B here. Yeah. I know a lot of my listeners mm-hmm. feel like they're dealing with something whether it's just like, you know, inflammation they can't quite right. put their finger on and or right possible autoimmunity, but they don't know what the root cause is? Like, what do you tell those people?
1: Yeah. Well, there's the complicated answer and the simple answer here. So the slightly more complicated answer is there are, you know, a handful of autoimmune diseases, again, that the conventional medical community really recognizes. And we've talked about a few of them, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, multiple sclerosis, and a whole host of others that are Firmly recognized and they have the diagnosis and all the rest. And then the reality is we're seeing more and more that researchers are looking at a whole host of other diseases, for example, like heart disease or clogging of the arteries. It's been suggested that there's an autoimmune component to that, that the immune system attacks the blood vessels and causes damage to them, you know, but we can't say for certain a lot of other diseases you know someone asks i believe could alzheimer's disease be an autoimmune disease and the answer is we don't know there are definitely some indications that the body is attacking itself in many, many other conditions. There has been estimated to be over 150 different autoimmune diseases, while the conventional community um, doesn't recognize that right now. So yeah, I, think I have we to will- say,
0: just mm-hmm. in even mm-hmm. asking the listeners what their questions were, they named so many conditions, from right. PCOS to rheumatoid arthritis, I mean, to all of the things you've mentioned, to Hashimoto's, right. like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh.
1: Right. <laughs> Totally. So the answer is we know autoimmunity in a good number of conditions and we suspect autoimmunity in a lot of others. But here's the thing. Some autoimmune diseases are fairly easy to figure out. Either the symptoms are very sort of indicative. So again, rheumatoid arthritis tends to cause red, hot, painful, swollen joints in the body, especially if it's on both sides. So it's one thing if you have a knee that hurts and you suspect that it's arthritis.
0: Yeah, that feels in easier that to thing. identify.
1: Right. Uh-huh. It's another thing to say, as many people know, Hashimoto's can be diagnosed from a simple blood test that shows antibodies being present in the blood. But there are loads of other conditions where we don't know. But here's kind of the simple answer. Inflammation. And let me define inflammation because I think everyone's now or most people have heard that term, but most people have no idea what inflammation actually is. Inflammation just means an active immune system. So when your immune system kicks into high gear, it breaks out the bazookas and the machine guns and things to, to go after something bad in your body. It causes, that is inflammation. It is the all the whole process of all of that happening.
0: Right, like inflammation now, isn't bad. It's utterly no, necessary.
1: <laughs> totally. If we were to be able to magically pull every trace of inflammation from your body, you would basically die. You need to have the ability to have inflammation. Your, you know, your cuts and scratches would not heal if you didn't have inflammation happen. The problem is twofold. One, too much inflammation for too long. So normally when we get sick, there's a big spike of inflammation that happens because the immune system is jumping into the fray to defeat the virus typically that makes you sick. And then once that virus has been defeated, the immune system shuts itself back off again and the inflammation disappears. So that is good, normal, and we need that to happen. Now, the problem with inflammation and autoimmunity is that the immune system is constantly on high alert because that bad thing that it has found is part of you and it can't get rid of it. So that inflammation just keeps going and going and going. And of course, the other bad part now is that instead of chomping down on viruses or bacteria, your immune system is chomping down on your thyroid or your brain or other parts of your body. That inflammation is targeted at parts of your body and it damages them and causes problems and symptoms and issues for people. Now we can have inflammation, chronic inflammation, that is not targeted directly at your body. So we can think of this in two ways. If you think of kind of the, the army again or whatever, yeah. they can cause damage because they're directly attacking something, right? So again, if your immune system is directly attacking your thyroid gland, it's gonna chew up and hurt your thyroid gland. But the other thing that can happen with inflammation, especially chronic inflammation, is that innocent bystanders get hurt too. So. If your immune system is fighting an infection, sort of, let's just call it, in the vicinity of your thyroid gland, it's not attacking your thyroid gland, it's fighting off something else, and in that process of doing that, it can damage your thyroid gland. There is a condition, whose name is escaping me right at the moment, I think it's gonna come back to me, where there is an infection of the thyroid gland And then the immune system attacks it, doesn't attack the thyroid gland itself, but is attacking that infection inside the thyroid gland and tends to cause uh, temporary issues with hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism because the thyroid is damaged in that whole process. Ah, I got the name now. It's called de Quervain's thyroiditis. That's the the fancy name for it. And it's
0: collateral damage, basically.
1: Right. The thyroid ends up getting hurt in the process of the immune system attacking the infection of the thyroid gland. But it is not autoimmunity because the thyroid gland is not directly being targeted. It's an innocent bystander that's getting hurt in the process.
0: So how do you know? I'm already confused. Like, how do you know?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. This is why we go to doctor school for a long time, right? <laughs> to learn all this stuff because I need human you to body... tell
0: me in 52 minutes everything yes. you've learned.
1: <laughs> right. I wish, I wish, right? The answer here is Hashimoto's tends to be a slow creeping autoimmune disease where the immune system is slowly but steadily chipping away at the thyroid gland. So there was a question that one of your listeners asked us which is, "Hey, if someone has high antibodies on a blood test, you know, is that a problem? And the answer is, and this is why I screen for people, if they don't have any obvious thyroid problems, because Hashimoto's is such a common autoimmune disease nowadays, I routinely um, order the antibodies for people to take a look at it. And the answer is, the data says that those antibodies typically become positive excuse me, between five and seven years before someone becomes hypothyroid. So I consider it ideal if I can find those antibodies before someone has a thyroid problem. Because if we can deal with that autoimmunity that is beginning to occur or is occurring, there is a very good chance we can prevent the person from ever going down the road of having their thyroid so screwed up that they have to take thyroid medication, Uh, You know, possibly for the rest of their life.
0: Well, I'm going to jump the gun really quickly here for just a second. I need to talk to you about food and diet, and I want to talk to you about therapies, but I have a question for you. Is it true that, like, if we really feel like this might be an issue for us, that we really have to seek out a naturopath or an MD that practices holistic medicine? Or, like, I mean, I feel the tension with my listeners right now where they're like, How do I know what I have? How do I know what I'm dealing with? And how do I get answers?
1: Totally. Totally. Well, there's what it should be and there's the reality of what the situation is, right? So what it should be is that every doctor has, you know, the education and the understanding to tackle these things.
0: And I feel like you can get answers if you have celiac, right? But what if you have fibromyalgia or, I mean, again, any host of these that we've already mentioned?
1: Well, the reality is, look, you know, most people, thankfully, have at least semi-decent access to MDs and the work that they're doing. And it's not a bad place to start. Like, look, use what you've got available as your starting point.
0: Right. Start where you are.
1: Start where you are and what you have available for yourself. So look. MDs can do a lot of good work. A lot of the time, they can figure out what it isn't. So we always say there are two ways to sort of figure out what's going on. The ideal way that people want and doctors want to is you come in with your issues, and we're able to, we lock on to what it is, and we confirm that that's what it is, and we're good to go. Unfortunately, in my world, a lot of the people that I deal with We go down the route of what I call the Sherlock Holmes method. So if anybody remembers Sherlock Holmes, the famous fictional detective, but he had a saying that when you eliminate everything that it isn't, you're left with what it is, right? So a lot of times we end up figuring out what's going on for someone by eliminating tons of other stuff that it's not. So for example, with a lot of digestive issues, people end up going to see their primary doctor, getting a referral to their gastroenterologist, And having a colonoscopy and endoscopy done to look at all their digestion and see what's going on. Now, for a lot of the people that we see, that's already been done. And the gastroenterologist kind of shrugs their shoulders and goes, I don't know what's going on with you.
0: But here's a prescription.
1: (laughs) Well, well, absolutely. Right? So, and not to make, it's true. And I hate that, but not to make too much fun of them. That is the options that they have available. And assuming they're a decent doctor, they're trying to do the best they can for you as well in that, in that situation. It's just That's not very fair. good. That's yeah. you know. So, people will come in incredibly frustrated. You know, I had all this done, and of course it's not cheap to get all those tests done and things, and they said nothing is wrong. And we say, yeah, you know, listen, that is really frustrating, I don't wanna minimize it, but it's still useful information. If a colonoscopy and an endoscopy, or blood work, or various other things, other investigations that doctors have done, have come back not showing a problem, good, we can mark that off the list of issues that could be going on or problems that could be there. So I guess I just want to give a little hope and hopefully a little reframing perspective that I don't want to minimize anyone's frustration, but you have partly ruled out what's not there, which can help you figure out what is there. Now, yes, ideally, I would love to see everyone under the care of someone, either a naturopathic doctor or an integrative physician, you know, someone who really has the knowledge and training to do it properly. A lot of times, you know, we can shortcut years and years of pain and suffering. So um, to go back, the average person has celiac disease for seven years, they have symptoms and trouble with celiac disease for seven years before getting a diagnosis before getting a diagnosis, right? And I just saw a person two weeks ago, she'd been dealing with digestive issues for 10 years, going from doctor to doctor, before we were able to basically diagnose her with Crohn's disease, which is another type of autoimmune disease of the digestive tract, right? And no one wants to get that diagnosis, but at the same time, she was almost overjoyed to finally have an understanding of what was actually going on. Oh,
0: for for sure. I get that completely.
1: You know, so start with where you are. The other thing, and yes, I completely agree. Someone said, you know, why do we have to be advocates for ourselves? And it shouldn't be that way. But the reality is that it is that way. Yeah. And and that's
0: okay because no one's going to care as much as you do. So, I mean, I'm a big proponent of everybody being their own detective, for sure. It just, it feels like it's maybe a little harder than it should be. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: So listen, you know, obviously our recommendations are find a good, you know, holistic, natural, integrative uh, practitioner to help you along in this process. Because I know there's a ton of incredibly intelligent people out there, but every day we're faced with, you know, the story of, I didn't get the help. I went to the internet and I'm just, you know, I'm bouncing from here to there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. And potentially, you know, years and tons of money have been spent um, trying to figure out what's going on when a good practitioner for most people can totally shortcut and help you get there way, way faster and save lots of time. And ultimately, even though this stuff can be very expensive, um, can save you a lot of money because you're not, you know, going down all these dead ends all the time.
0: Okay, good point. Let's talk about food and diet. I think I got just as many questions around nutrition and eating lifestyles for autoimmune as I did any other question. So yeah. can I have your thoughts on the autoimmune protocol, sometimes called AIP? Yep. And does a yep. and tell us what that is and sure. does it apply to like every single autoimmune issue? Right. Like what is it? How does it okay. work? Okay.
1: So great question, and I'm so happy that your audience is clued in to the fact that diet may be having some part to play in what's going <laughs> they're on. They're so smart. Yes, <laughs> awesome. Because again, every day we see people who come from their whether they're specialist, whether it's a gastroenterologist, a rheumatologist, a neurologist, saying, "Well, they said the diet has nothing to do with this," and the answer is that it's completely wrong. You know, in ten years.
0: That makes me. crazy. Yeah,
1: it makes me crazy too. Listen, in 10 years of working with people with autoimmune diseases, I would say between eight and nine of every 10 people who come to see us see changes from making changes to their diet. Now, for some-
0: Oh, that's very encouraging. It's very
1: encouraging. Now, for some people, those changes are fairly modest- Right? They may be, well, I'm definitely better, but I'm still suffering quite a bit from autoimmunity and it's still a big deal for me, but it's better than it was before. All the way down to, and I would say, you know, give or take about 10 or 20% of people who make dietary changes see massive changes in their symptoms. So let me give you one real quick story here. So a young lady with rheumatoid arthritis. She was on the drugs, and then she turned twenty six and her parents' insurance company uh, her you know would no longer cover her for insurance. she was on some expensive drugs that can cost you know ten to twenty thousand dollars a year for those drugs. Wow So she obviously could no longer be on those drugs, and the short version is she found that the autoimmune paleo or the AIP diet essentially completely controlled her symptoms, that when she followed that diet, her joints, everything calmed down, her joints felt good again, nothing was bothering her. So, you know, these are the-
0: What is the AIP diet, Dr. June? Okay,
1: so great question. So just one last second and I'll totally get to that. So for some people, just making diet changes alone can completely control their autoimmune disease. Now, I don't want people to, you know, absolutely, give it a try, see what it does for you but recognize that in my experience, for most people, diet alone is not going to be sufficient to completely control what's going on, okay? Okay. So in order to make sense of diet, let me go back and just want, because this will all become clear, just one second. So we, I
0: believe yeah. you, I trust you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. We talked about how genetics alone are not enough to trigger autoimmune disease just because you have the gen- having the genetics means it is you have the possibility of getting autoimmune disease It's more likely that you will get autoimmune disease, but it doesn't mean you will get autoimmune disease So we call genetics the loaded gun. It's like having a loaded gun But if you don't pull the trigger on that loaded gun, nothing will happen Okay, so something must pull the trigger on that loaded gun And so what are the four major, and a bunch more other things, but what are the four major things that can pull that trigger? One is diet and lifestyle factors. So we already talked about stress is one of those lifestyle factors, but diet and lifestyle factors is number one. Toxicity is number two. Infections is number three. And gut health is number four. So let's talk-
0: Oh, wow. It gets its own category.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Because it's that big of a deal. So diet, gut, health combined together, both of those are involved. So it's important to understand that in our gut, there are about 60% of our whole body's immune system. The figures vary a little bit, but let's call it about 60% of every immune cell in our body is right there at our gut. And the reason is on a day-to-day basis, the gut is one of the main places that stuff goes into our body. You can think of it kinda like the border, like where stuff is flowing into and out of our body. So the gut is a primary place where the immune system can be influenced in a good way to calm down or in a bad way to get stirred up, okay? And now one of the factors that can stir up the immune system is what we eat. So let's talk specifically about the autoimmune paleo diet. So we first start okay. with the paleo diet. This ties in the thread we were talking about before, where we asked what things were humans evolved over millions and hundreds of thousands of years to eat, and what things are new and unusual to the human body, okay? And so we look at things, and this could be a whole, nother, we could do a whole nother podcast just on talking about diet, but the paleo diet in particular says, well, things like grains, so wheat and all sorts of other grains, things like beans and legumes, things like dairy, processed foods, added sugars, all of colorings and preservatives and additives and all these things are new and different and potentially problematic for the body. They can trigger the immune system to increase inflammation and make things worse for people that was uh, further refined from the basic paleo diet to the autoimmune paleo diet, where a very, very smart lady, Sarah Ballantine, um, has, has really run with this, and put together a lot of research where she looked for all the other possibly problematic or most problematic foods that could trigger a lot of inflammation, immune system activity, and worsen autoimmunity, and she's put together, let's be candid, a very restrictive diet that strips away most of these things.
0: Yeah, I feel like I could never do this because Paleo is like no grains, no legumes. But if I'm understanding correctly, the AIP is also no nuts, no nightshades, and dairy free. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did I leave anything out? Uh,
1: uh, no nuts and seeds. No. So it's the standard: no grains, no dairy. Um, no grains, no dairy, no beans, no,
0: beans. No, no nuts
1: or seeds, no nightshades, no coffee, as well.
0: Okay, I'm out. <laughs> I am out. Peace out. So, people.
1: So, two questions: Is this the or the only way that diet can help autoimmunity? And the answer is no. Of course not. Of course not. Does everyone need to do the autoimmune paleo diet? No. They don't. Will it work? Is it the right diet for everyone? No, it isn't, okay? Is it helpful for many people? Yes, it is. Does everyone need to avoid all of those things or all of those things forever? No. Do some people? Unfortunately, yes. So there's two different approaches that people can take to working with diet. Okay, so obviously I hope we're, uh, everyone who's listening is on the page of you know a whole foods diet that includes both, for almost everyone, that includes both plants and some animal foods. We are an omnivorous species, so we're meant to consume some of both. It is true that some people, there are some people whose guts are so compromised that plant foods cause a lot of problems. There are some people who don't seem to do well or choose not to have animal foods and thrive without them as well. The most people in the middle, we need a mixed diet of mostly whole foods. I hope we're all
0: Okay, and we're on the try to eat whole foods and you will change the world yes. eating plan yeah. yep. over here. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay.
1: So that's a great starting place. Look, if nothing else, getting a lot of additives, preservatives, you know, lots of extra sugar,
0: sugar yeah, not helping. Not
1: helping. You know, lots of really refined grains. We always say, look, if you're gonna eat grains, the more unrefined and unprocessed they are, the healthier they are for you, okay? So again, one of the questions, you know, people have heard out there on the internet, people saying, for example, like everybody with Hashimoto's or everybody with autoimmune disease needs to avoid gluten. Is that true? No, I do not believe that's true. I've seen plenty of people with autoimmune diseases who do fine with gluten, who don't have any issues with it. Why should they avoid it if it's not causing them any problems?
0: Right? Yeah, 100%. There are,
1: yeah. but there are also loads of people who do see improvements from avoiding gluten, right? So the answer is, we as humans, we all want cut and dry, black and white, simple, just tell me exactly what I need to do. And, you know, there is one solution to it. So it's not true that you know, we could get rid of all autoimmunity if everyone just stopped eating gluten or we all went back to older heirloom species of gluten, non you know, genetically modified, non-sprayed, that would take care of everything. And the answer is no, it wouldn't. Or we just need to get all the mercury out of, out of the world and then everything would be perfect. And the answer is no, it's not. So to go quickly, to go back to our earlier question, why is there so much more immune dysfunction in the world these days there is no one, one single answer. I feel it's because we've hit a tipping point where so many factors are against us now. Most people,
0: It's a perfect storm, perfect isn't it? Storm. Of,
1: uh, uh-huh.
0: yeah. GMO, pesticides, fertilizer. Mm-hmm. I could go poor on. Diet, chronic stress. Poor
1: diet, chronic stress, low levels of sleep, on and on and on and on. You pile up gut dysfunctions, dysbioses that are going on, like you name it. We stack all these things one on top of one another. For some people, it's more one thing. For other people, it's more another thing. But as a global society, you know, if we had to devise an environment for ourselves to live in that made people sick, you're more or less looking at it. We've inadvertently put that together. Basically.
0: Well done, right. us. And so I would imagine that how you got there yes. probably has a lot to do with what modality or therapy or diet would work for you, whereas it might not work for the other guy who's suffering from the exact same thing. In other words, there are so many variables. Absolutely.
1: That's what. That's why people are so confused, right? That's why you read someone's blog post and they say, hey, I have XYZ autoimmune disease and I did this treatment and boom, like I'm great. And then other people right. are like, oh, So I just need to do what that person did and it'll fix my autoimmunity. And the answer is, yeah, sometimes. But for other people, you know, and then they're so frustrated. Well, I went down that path and I, I, you know, I invested all that time and energy and money doing that thing and it didn't help me. And the answer is, yeah, because that dysfunction that thing that the person was addressing wasn't not your thing thing, or it's not a big deal or it's it is a piece of what's going on for you but not the thing that's going to turn everything around for you
0: would you suggest that people would generally like take a look at grains soy legumes nuts and seeds nightshades dairy and like Maybe eliminate one at a time, or test that, sure. or eliminate all of sure. like. What do you recommend sure. if they're trying to figure it sure, out? Sure.
1: So there's two strategies to, to come back to what we were talking about before. Two strategies with diet. There's the kind of one step at a time, and the both feet in the pool at once. Okay. So one strategy is jump into the deep end of the pool and get it over with. So go to something like an autoimmune paleo diet, eliminate, strip all that stuff out of your diet. Or, <laughs> so
0: you're eating air and like,
1: broth. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're
0: on the air and broth. Air, diet. yeah, the
1: okay. air and broth diet. Yeah, no, <laughs> listen, you know, like there are go check out you can Sarah Ballantyne's blog, the dot okay. She has a lot of recipes. There are cookbooks. There are I know it's a common reaction. There's nothing to eat but air and broth. The reality is there's still lots of foods, lots of delicious things that people can eat, but it is a massive dietary shift for people. Right.
0: Okay, I'll link to two that I know are really, really right. good, including Sarah's. Right. Okay. right,
1: So that would be obviously. But that's one strategy. And that is, you know, we generally say, look, if you're going to do it, you must do it for a minimum of 30 days. And if you're going to do it, it's not something where you can mostly do it. You have to completely do it. because
0: I get that. That makes you sense. You
1: know, because otherwise you just don't know. If it's like, well, I kind of cut down on the amount of these foods, but I was still eating them. Yeah, it's great if then you say, oh my gosh, things did get better for me. But if you're going, well, I was 60, 70, 80%. I cut down on these things, but I still ate them and my autoimmunity is about the same. You know, Does that mean that it's going to help me or not? The answer is we have no idea. So okay. you really need to, if you're going to go both feet in the deep end, you really need to do this properly. And this is why we recommend... Everything from having a good practitioner on your side to having a support group on your side to planning and preparing for it so that you can do it correctly and you can have the support and the guidance and the help that you need, so you don't end up, again, spinning your wheels, wasting your time, wasting all the effort that you put into making these changes. So you know, do something, you can jump in the deep end, do something like the autoimmune paleo diet for a minimum of 30 days, sometimes we'll recommend 90 days on the dietary change, and kind of assess what you can notice. So again, sometimes this is easy. Someone, you know, the example of the young lady with rheumatoid arthritis, it's easy to tell if it's working or not. Do things hurt more than they did before or hurt less than they did before? Sometimes with things like Hashimoto's, it's extremely difficult to tell, especially if someone's on thyroid medication, you know, that first step, just getting them functional and working again, it can be really hard to tell. So that can be a problem. But then you ask the question, you know, was this helpful for me? And so if you saw positive changes, you know something that you did in that dietary change was helpful. Now, does that mean, you know, you're forever stuck on eating air and broth? And the answer is no. Later stages are to say, okay, you know, things have improved. Now we need to test and challenge and see, do you really need to eliminate all of those things? So is coffee really a problem for you? Are nuts and seeds really a problem for you? Are you actually sensitive to nightshades or dairy or gluten or any of these things? And so, especially as we move a person towards maintenance, we're looking for the least restrictive, you know, things that diet that a person can have. What is the minimum that needs to be restricted or removed from that person's diet so that things are as easy and as you know as flexible for that person as possible
0: is the baby step version that you would do one elimination at a time
1: exactly so the ba- okay. baby step version is okay you know so for example another person i'm working with who also has ulcerative colitis they're thinking dairy is a problem for them you know they're kind of watching their symptoms and thinking about it and they're like you know i think dairy is a problem so great we can just start by eliminating dairy, eating everything else, you know, obviously, again, whole foods, all that, but taking dairy out of the diet and assessing, did anything positive change? Now, that the pro is that it is definitely easier than completely redoing your diet. The con, is twofold. Uh, one, you may have to cycle through a number of different eliminations. So dairy might not be it and, and grain, yeah, you know, it
0: sounds slow. So it's
1: a slow process. So it requires patience and diligence to do it. And frankly, you know, a lot of people we work with are just like, yeah, no, I don't have, you know, potentially like six months or, or whatever worth of patience to just slowly and steadily work through the process. Right the other possibility is that it's not one single food that is the most problematic for you. So taking, for example, you know, dairy might be 20% of food that's causing a problem and legumes might be 30% and, you know, kind of on and on and on. Right. And so you take out each of these things individually and you go, well, like, Uh, maybe it's a bit better, but it's not that big of a deal. And you could falsely conclude, well, I don't think dairy is an issue when it is a bit of an issue for you, right? So in general, you know, we do where people are ready for it. We recommend just dive in with both feet into the deep end, you know, uh, get it done and figure it out. Right. And so, Again, AIP or even just a straight paleo diet, we've had great success with it in my practice. A lot of people have found that it's really improved things for them. But there are some people it's the wrong approach, you know. So again, uh, one woman I saw, um, she really taught this to me. She uh, we, we, she had a whole host of various symptoms and we were trying the autoimmune paleo diet for her. And it just didn't seem to be working. Um, she ultimately, understandably, got frustrated and and left Uh, my practice stopped working with me and I heard from her a while later that she had found that a strict raw vegan diet was working tremendously well for her. Like she was seeing things massively improve. And so I'm not dogmatic. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to see what works for someone and if it's working for them, wonderful. So, you know, if you've truly tried something like the autoimmune paleo diet and it just doesn't work for you, Uh, you know, it's time to consider and explore other approaches, because there may be something else out there that works better.
0: Wow, this is a long journey. Okay, I know we are running so close to time, but I've got to ask you, what therapies or healing modalities do you like to recommend to people across the autoimmune spectrum? Yeah, so
1: let me, uh, well, there's, there's loads, obviously, so we've talked about, obviously, so if you think about those four major triggers, we're going to cluster yeah. different therapies through those different triggers. So obviously, here, and things that people have control of in their lives, um, what they're eating, how much they're sleeping, and the quality of their sleep, and their stress are probably the three biggest lifestyle factors that affect autoimmune disease. So food, sleep, and stress are probably the three biggest factors. So, you know, there are a whole host of different therapies and things that can be done to work on all three of those, sure. right? Then if we're concerned about toxicity, we're gonna to need to do some, you know, some sensible and rational detox to get some of that stuff out of the person. If we're concerned about chronic infections, we're gonna to need to work on, you know, chronic infections in the immune system, um, and then gut health. So I would say if nothing else, the two pillars that we always address for people are diet and lifestyle and gut health. And so then there's a whole host of different things that that's almost a topic all by itself, Ella, to talk about, you know, gut health and all of those things. So maybe some other time if we want, and your audience, uh, is interested, we could, we could talk more about that. Or if you've had other guests that can, you know, address that side of things. So
0: yeah, for sure. So, but this makes a lot of sense. In the way that you're explaining it, it feels a lot more doable because when you say that there are the four or five triggers, depending on how you look at it diet, lifestyle, toxicity, infection, and gut health yep. the yep. healing therapies are around getting your act together, right. food, sleep, and stress. Right. And then we right. can dig deeper. Right. But, like, right. let's not even. Dig deeper and go there until we've got food, sleep, and stress. Not well,
1: absolutely. Out. So look, if people are saying, look, there are no good practitioners near me, or I don't have the money to see someone near me, or I'm not ready to see someone near me, or you know whatever the case may be for a person, the food that you put in the, for most of us out there, the food that we put in our mouth, sleep, hygiene, and factors around sleep and stress management are all things that we potentially you know don't need to get a doctor or other people involved with that we can make good positive changes for ourselves. And for some people, that may be enough to take care of their autoimmune diseases or their inflammation or other issues that are going on for them. And if it isn't, you know, then seek out help and, you know, get some of these other factors addressed for yourself.
0: Okay. Well, obviously, I could record with you for another fifteen hours. (laughs) Well, Dr. G, you are a font
1: of information. Well, thanks. I hope everybody listening has been, you know, has found this helpful. And I guess there are two things that I want to leave the audience with. The the first is hope. Okay, so again, not to bash on MDs, but in general, they're not a very hopeful crowd. A lot of times, you know, there's in their worldview, there's very little that individual people can do to deal with things like autoimmune diseases. We have to hope and rely on powerful drugs to manage and and do things for us and hope that more therapies come down the pike and and help us out. Mm -hmm. The reality is, drugs are not bad. Again, drugs are not bad, they have their place and they can be really helpful. So we can see, for example, you know, if someone's really suffering Uh, In fact, I had a gentleman uh, just the other week who was really suffering. And so we got him on a course of prednisone, a strong immune suppressing drug, in order to get things under control for people. Drugs are not bad, but that prednisone in and of itself will do absolutely nothing to address diet, lifestyle, toxicity, infections, and gut health. And so the strong, you know, someone may be on the drugs and it may be working great for them and wonderful. And if someone's okay there, Fine, but if they ever want to entertain any hope of getting off those drugs or not needing those drugs, they're going to need to address the the underlying factors that trigger and drive autoimmunity for people. So, first of all, there's hope. There is a lot that people can do for themselves. And secondly, you know, there are resources out there. A lot of people are feeling lost, a lot of people are feeling confused. There are plenty, there aren't enough, straight up, there aren't enough, but there are plenty of good doctors and other practitioners out there who realize the limitations of our conventional system and branch out and look outside of it and find therapies and find tools that help people. If anybody is interested, would like to reach out to me, is it okay if I give my contact info here, Ella?
0: I mean, I would love it because they're going to be like, yeah, but where do I start? So no, that would be great. And of course, you guys know that you don't have to memorize anything. I'll just link to it in the show notes.
1: Absolutely. So if someone wants to reach out to us, uh, the easiest place to find me and find us is is our website. So it's for Aspire Natural Health. So that's Aspire as in A-S-P-I-R-E, Aspire Natural Health. You can find everything there. You find links to our social media. You can find links to videos and audio that we've done as well. So that's the the central hub uh, where you can find us and you can find uh, more information as well.
0: Thank you for mm-hmm. that. All right, Dr. G, thank you. You will definitely be back because I have so many more questions for you.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad. (laughs) Listen, I want to thank you for getting information out there for people. Thankfully, the internet has changed everything. And we live in a Mm -hmm. day and age now, to our earlier point, We all need to be advocates for ourselves. That doesn't mean that you should be, you know, you have to fight the medical system, but we all need to be aware that ultimately our health is in our own hands. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're doing yourself a great service and learning things that you need to do to be an advocate for your own health. So thank you so much, Ella.
0: Dr. G, I couldn't have said it better myself, so I won't even try. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.